Continuing our journey in this third episode of the podcast series, From Gut to Glory, digesting the potential of gut hormones in type 2 diabetes management, we will delve further into exploring the clinical benefits and therapeutic approaches for managing type 2 diabetes. So thank you again for joining me, Priya and Michael, on this discussion with EMJ. So in the previous episodes, we've been focusing on gut hormones and the specific focus on incretin hormones. So I'd love to delve further into this from a clinical perspective. So Priya, perhaps you could just give us a bit of a reflection about those clinical benefits of targeting um, the incretin hormones and maybe how this might differ in the past with when we thought about those living with type 2 diabetes. And that's a great question. And, uh, you know, where, where metformin and insulin and secretagogues were the backbones of therapy before, incretin hormones have revolutionized the management of diabetes, not only because they effectively control glycemia, but also because of their effects on weight and the adiposity-related comorbidities that are also, um, that are also prevalent in patients with diabetes. Um, they have incredible effects on appetite control and uh, are very potent sort of suppressors of that neurobiological response to weight loss that can sometimes um, interfere with uh, long-term strategies to sustain healthy behaviors. Um, so in, in saying that, these incretins do allow patients to to persist with healthy behaviors more successfully than if they weren't on incretin therapies. And so we've, we've talked about the fact in earlier podcasts that they have a role for um, the management of, of weight and um, weight-related comorbidities. I think the other thing that's extremely compelling about these, uh, this class of hormones, the, this class of drugs is their off-target effects particularly on cardiovascular health. Um, there uh, have been, um, this class has been shown as a group to improve uh, cardiovascular health by reducing the occurrence of major adverse cardiovascular events. And, uh, and I think that's a very important goal in managing diabetes. So the incretin hormones they, they check a lot of the boxes in terms of improving the health and well-being of patients with diabetes. And Michael, perhaps you could discuss some of that evidence that uh, Priya alludes to in terms of how incretin-based therapies impact type 2 diabetes treatment. Yeah, so first of all, they were, development of, were developed as glucose-lowering agents, and, and that is what they do. So they... Uh, lower fasting glucose. They, uh, in particular, they uh, are effective in reducing postprandial glycemic uh, excursions, and in the end, this will reduce HbA1c quite considerably. Uh, we have talked about the weight reduction, which was like two or three kilograms in the earlier compounds that made it to the market first. Uh, but that has increased now to like six, seven kilograms on uh, average, which is much more relevant uh, in by impacting on metabolic health uh, by itself. This is accompanied by reductions in, uh, in particular, systolic blood pressure improvements in lipids, 
and uh, I think the real breakthrough really were the uh, findings in terms of preventing severe cardiovascular events like acute myocardial infarction, stroke, and related mortality. Uh, also, the effects on uh, preventing advanced renal disease by slowing the reduction over time in EGFR, by reducing albuminuria. And uh, when you talk about highly effective glucose-lowering agents, uh, the obvious uh, agent to compare them to is insulin. And we now know that the more recently developed GLP-1 receptor agonists reduce HbA1c at least as good as insulin does. Without a risk of hypoglycemia, insulin will make people uh, gain some uh, weight. GLP-1 receptor agonists usually lead to uh, substantial weight loss. So uh, nobody would have thought this like 20, 30 years ago, that one day we will have agents that without a substantial risk of causing hypoglycemia are as effective in uh, controlling glycemia as insulin is. Priya, if I could come back to you, um, considering this evidence, uh, what is the latest guidance from the societies and the guidelines that exist in terms of yeah. utilizing incretin-based therapies? Yeah. Do they differ from the previous guidelines? Uh, I, I think the, 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 the off-target effects of these uh, hormones have really changed what we can do in the realm of diabetes. And uh, I've talked a little bit more about, uh, I've talked a little bit earlier about the effect on weight. So the ADA and EASD um, uh, did a, a recent consensus statement on the management of hyperglycemia and that um, that included their recognition of how much more you could do with this class of drugs and also with other uh, classes of drugs that are being used in the management of diabetes. So there's, uh, there's a greater emphasis on weight management um, and a greater emphasis on uh, cardio and renal protection in people with diabetes uh, at high risk of cardio of at high risk of cardiorenal disease. And I think what's particularly interesting is that they acknowledge um, the the role of social determinants of health um, and uh, and how that can impact disease, how the healthcare system can impact the chances of success. Uh, of, a, of a given patient. They talk about physical activity, behaviors like sleep, um, and uh, just generally a more holistic, individualized approach to diabetes management. And I think, um, as I mentioned, because we can more effectively address weight management and the obstacles to weight management, uh, we now have really no good reason not to treat weight in conjunction with treating any adiposity-related um, comorbidity. And do they make specific reference to when we perhaps could consider implementing incretin-based therapies in yeah. these approaches? Yeah. I think that um, in, in many of the clinical trials, there are drugs that are used first, but in many countries, 
um, the, uh, the access to incretins as a first line therapy is dependent on drug coverage. But I think these drugs are now uh, very much uh, front and center of management for, for people who can afford it. And Michael, is that similar in Europe? Do you know? I think the, the cardiovascular outcome studies that prove the benefits in terms of preventing myocardial infarction, stroke, and the like, they were usually typically performed in populations who already had established cardiovascular disease. So the evidence is very, very good that you can help these people. And these are life-endangering incidents that you can uh, avoid with the help of GLP-1 receptor agonists. So basically, I think we would have to consider it negligence if we fail to prescribe such a drug to a patient who falls into this category. Of course, you can, as an alternative, use SGLT2 inhibitors for the same uh, purpose, but you should do at least one out of the two uh, prescriptions. Uh, And uh, so that has really boosted the use and it has changed how we think about first-line treatment. So uh, in the past, we said always metformin first and if you need, you add something else. Now we say if you have a patient with type 2 diabetes and established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, it's almost mandatory that you use a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SSGLT2 inhibitor. And for balance, do we know of any potential side effects um, or risks that could occur with this new kind of approach or implementation? Are they being monitored or mitigated anyway? So we have experience with GLP-1 receptor agonists since 2007 in Europe now. That means uh, we, we have treated quite a number of patients. What typically you find in any of the clinical trials is nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. So they are called gastrointestinal adverse events, but probably they are caused by a direct interaction of the drugs with the brain stem, uh, like others other drugs do as well. And People have been very tricky to avoid this. And uh, what what we do and what usually we do in the clinical trials and then recommend for uh, everyday life is start with a very low dose that doesn't give you a lot of side effects and then slowly uh, increase the dose by up titration in a way that produces tolerance to these side effects. And we can be very effective doing this. Uh, For example, in the last two years, uh, very much higher doses have been tried in patients after they have developed tolerance, which turn out to be even more effective in uh, controlling glycemia and reducing body weight. So we've been quite effective in, in mitigating those problems. However, we have to acknowledge that in approximately 5%, these side effects are so severe that the patients don't want to continue the treatment. So it's good for 95%, but not for these 5%. And so 
taking that information, what should healthcare professionals or even patients who might be listening think about in terms of the practical considerations of using incretin hormone antagonists um, in their management plan? So, so these are such a useful, um, uh, they're such an important treatment that we try to give patients the tools they need to, um, to develop the tolerance and to persist with the medication why they, why, while they develop the tolerance. So um, I explained to patients that, you know, from a practical perspective, you are sort of changing the signaling between the gut and the brain. And it takes some time for you to adjust to that. Um, and so slowing down the titration, reassuring patients that, you know, they can slow down the titration, that in clinical trials, it can take sometimes up to 12 weeks for people to, to develop a tolerance to it. And um, the one very important thing that I do tell patients is if for any reason you stop, don't go back to the highest dose, go back to the lowest dose and titrate up from there. Um, in terms of uh, the, the side effects, there were some concerns about more harmful side effects like pancreatitis, but those are actually relatively, relatively small group of people. And I think with pancreatitis, whenever you have a rapid loss of weight, it can increase the risk of gallstones. And so gallstone pancreatitis was one of the things that we saw in the clinical trials. Um, but there's still a, a healthy caution in using these medications who in patients who've had a history of severe pancreatitis, especially if the cause is unknown. Having said that, that's got to be a very sort of balanced discussion with the patient and looking at their risk-benefit ratio. For most people, the risk-benefit ratio, including the, the side effects that occur in the first phase of treatment, is still very much in benefit of persisting with, um, with GLP-1 agonist therapy. Um, and just, uh, just to add one other thing is that uh, these drugs have been shown, as, as uh, Michael mentioned, to reduce the risk of major adverse cardiovascular events, both in patients who have existing cardiovascular disease and also in patients with diabetes who didn't have existing cardiovascular disease. So there's, there's definitely something about this drug that has that compelling indication for this high-risk population. So when would you feel it clinically appropriate then for practitioners to consider prescribing these medications given that insight? Um, I think everyone should be offered GLP-1 agonist therapy because of the benefits. I, you know, I think we've never really conclusively shown that metformin has a cardiovascular benefit or that it has a benefit on um, on, on renal health, uh, a lot of the effects seem to be related to glycemia with not a lot in the way of off-target effects. So when you look at the landscape of complications, I think these drugs are becoming the backbone. I think, as Michael said, it's negligent not to offer this to patients. Thank you, Priya. I think that nicely concludes today's podcast. So thank you very much to Professor Nork and Dr. Manji for sharing their valuable insights with us. This has been a podcast on exploring the clinical benefits and therapeutic approaches of managing type 2 diabetes. I want to thank 
both of my experts for joining me today on this podcast series, From Gut to Glory, Digesting the Potential of Gut Hormones in Type 2 Diabetes Management. If you enjoyed this episode of the EMJ podcast, this is the third of a four-part series that can be accessed through your preferred podcast platform or by visiting emjreviews.com. And in our final episode, we will therefore consider the patient perspectives of managing type 2 diabetes. So until next time, take care and goodbye for now.